Get ready for the Small Church Shepherds podcast. Small Church Shepherds exist to encourage, enrich, and equip small church pastors and churches. You can find our blog and more information about us at smallchurchshepherds.com. Hey guys, thanks for listening. This is Jonathan, and I'm here today with Dennis and James, and we're going to be discussing a topic, uh, part two for you, on sexual abuse, um, how to guard yourself against it, and how to react to it, respond to it when it happens. But today, uh, last time we looked, if you go back to part one of this episode, uh, we looked at the practical things that we could do, and we talked about policies and procedures, but today we're really just going to kind of sit here and discuss amongst each other uh, what biblically our church is called to do that will help them in these types of situations. So why don't one of y'all hit us off on that? James? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation again, um, not only practically speaking, as we talked about last time, but now as, as the situation hasn't stopped, the scenario, I know some of the the fire has sort of went out on this story, but as we continue to read social media, we still still see some problems going on in the church. And so, all we want to do really is to look at some things biblically, doctrinally, even with our ecclesiology, to say, "Hey, can we create an environment biblically, doctrinally, um, where we become healthy, so that these situations become fewer and fewer? And if it does happen," How do we address it with a healthy ecclesiology? And I, I just really think that's going to be a, a, a very beneficial conversation um, uh, for for all of us, uh, all of us pastors and small churches. And so I guess and you I'll, said this. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I think I think sometimes we think because um, there's nothing that says okay in the Bible that says okay John chapter. Um, 42 is on how do you deal with sexual abuse in your church. We think the Bible doesn't say anything on these issues, mm-hmm. but the Bible is is incredibly practical in some of its application on how to deal with brothers who have strayed, how mm-hmm. to deal with people that are repentant, and how to um, to approach people um, to bring them to repentance. How to deal with people who are unrepentant, and, and I think all of those things are incredibly practical. And how we handle this issue, and so I think it's important that we discuss it from this point well, too. And it's it's fresh on me this issue of church discipline because I, I've just I'm in the process of preaching through First Corinthians, and I just did just a week or two ago a sermon on church discipline. But the issues when it comes to that, and we'll talk about it more. I know, but is it Paul uses the issue of a man guilty of sexual immorality, and if that is not what sexual abuse is, is sexual immorality then I don't know what it is. And so that's like perfect. All right. Don't even have to interpret that into that. That's just what the Bible's going to tell us straight up how to deal with someone. So, I mean, there are places where it's dealt with kind of directly. Right. Right. I think one of the, um, one of the things I know in, 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 in my area where I'm at and, and help leading as an elder of the church we're at is plurality of elders. When we talk about ecclesiology, healthy ecclesiology, uh, I know there's different points of view. Uh, the 
plurality of elders, I believe, is very biblically based, very healthy for the local church. And the situations that we're talking about circumstance, I, I would advocate um, a plurality of pastors um, is right. greatly, greatly beneficial in these circumstances. And and I would point to specifically why not only biblically should you have it, but but the, the healthiness of it and how it helps you in these situations. One is just accountability. Accountability right. can go so yeah. far in the local church. Um, I know we like to give it to everybody. We like to hold others accountable. It's hard for us to let others hold us accountable. But in a plurality yeah. of elders, uh, everyone is holding each other accountable. Should be. Let, let me preface it with that. They should be holding each other accountable. Yeah. And so what happens in a situation like that, um, when you have a plurality of elders, if it's let's, – let's start with it's not an elder, but it's a church member. Mm-hmm. A layman or a laywoman, and you hear about this, it gives you the opportunity to. And I know we mentioned church discipline moments ago, but you're able to have these conversations, and and you're not by yourself, um, and you're able to have a conversation with the person who's accused and the person who's doing the accusation, accusing, um, and doing that with a plurality of biblically qualified men goes goes a long way. Um, mm-hmm. In comparison to, like like you guys were mentioning, uh, have mentioned, uh, being a single pastor in a small church setting. Um, I can only imagine how difficult it would be with that accusation coming, being by yourself trying to handle that. Oh, yeah. And, and just for everyone listening, James is the only of the three of us that is actually serving in a church with a plurality of elders. Right. Um, we all kind of agree amongst ourselves about the biblical I don't know how biblical the doctrine is, but we're just none of us, me and Dennis, just don't have, find ourselves in a place where we're serving in that context. Right. Yeah. And, and that's where, again, I just I would just put as another point, a bullet point as to why um, plurality of elders is, is just a, a very healthy thing for the, for the local church. And and let's say it does happen, accusation happens within within the body of the plurality of elders, of the elders, you then again have another level of accountability that you're able to have right. and take care of it on your own, where we I know of situations in a, a, a single pastor situation and the pastor is accused of something, there's not much I'm not going to use the word accountability, but there's a lot of times a not a lot of investigation and conversation. Oh yeah, it's it can an accusation can happen and a man's ministry can be done right then. I now, have a well, I have a very firsthand experience with this. My home church, uh, the pastor that I was saved under, he was the pastor uh, that was my pastor when I surrendered to the ministry. Um, there's a he. Uh, come to find out, I have an older sister. Um, come to find out, he had been while he was married soliciting my sister, like trying to get her. He was doing a hospital visit in Jackson, and he was going to have to stay the night up there. And he was trying to get my sister, who at the time was eighteen, I think, um, while he's married, come and keep him company in a hotel room. Oh my and, god. And so my my sister tells my parents, and then they go and they tell the deacons, and then it's like it just never went anywhere. Oh, I don't I don't believe that. And we're like, well, we got the text messages to show you, and and they just they chose they opted to believe the pastor, and no investigation was ever done, you know, and that's he could do that because he was a single pastor, and he had the trust of the deacons. Right. 
Yeah, I, I would say that. Let me again say this with a plurality of elders: you could having just having plurality of elders doesn't mean things will be healthy. The elders no. themselves and the way that they function, they have to be biblical and healthy. They don't matter if you have one pastor or twenty pastors. If you have an environment that is corrupt and full of deceit and unbiblical, it, it, no amount of elders or pastors can fix that right. in itself. And so, yeah. when we're suggesting this, is is we're we're speaking with the assumption that they're biblically qualified, healthy, God-centered men, and exactly. that's where I go back to the to the accountability is 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 huge for the local church with the pastors and of course the congregation. And I say right. a second thing behind the elders is just I'm speaking as a young man I know I'm, I'm 36 but sitting with, with a, a parody I guess you say of elders what I mean is there's so many different men from different backgrounds and age there comes a lot of wisdom and and I've sit in conversations where I thought I had it figured out then someone spoke and it was so much more wise than my comment was and, right. and so I believe also if you're not only surrounded with a qualified men you have accountability but there's wisdom there to listen how to handle the situation properly and so that's where i would just i would argue for it i would encourage any local pastor as you're working in your church and you want to help curtail um these sexual abuse issues or if it does happen in your local church you'll be surprised how getting to a plurality of elders can actually help you um, in these in these circumstances, so so much, and just and just the practicalities. You men know this is why we do this podcast. But but you can go through difficult things and bear a lot on your shoulders when there's other men with you. You know, yeah. through these right. difficult circumstances. So well, well also so, let's let's take it. Struggling with sexual sin, um, just having that plurality of guys that he can work with can help him. Um, you know, stave off some of that, you know, right. work through that sin and, and having guys to walk with him can help him um, walk mm-hmm. through those things. And, and if, you know, we all struggle with different sins. Um, you know, for some guys, it's ego. For some guys, it's, um, it, it's financial problems. For some guys, it is uh, attraction, uh, you know, excessive attraction. Uh, you know, all men are going to be attracted to, you know, members of the opposite sex unless they are same sex attracted. And, and having that accountability to keep them from giving into that sin and walking um, through that sin helps keep them. You know, you can you could stave off some of that stuff just by those accountable relationships, and I think that's incredibly important. Yeah. Um, well, taking the plurality of elders, we've kind of discussed in the context of what the accusation or a sin comes up in the context of an elder or an accusation against an elder. But does a plurality of elder really help when the accusations against a church member or a Sunday school teacher? It, it can't. I, I, I would say. It would help in the sense of, as I was talking about a while ago, that the the pastor's not by himself. That accusation right. comes up. He that there's a group of qualified men who can sit there and have a frank, clear, Christ-centered conversation to do the right thing. Um, right. And, and that's where I, I would I would argue for that. I would say mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but if I face that situation, and you can call me a coward, but I don't want to face it alone. 
I no. don't. You know, um, well, so I'm, I, I would encourage that. I'm just playing devil advocate a little bit because I've been having these kind of conversations with some church members and, and different people. Uh, and and But what about people that say, well, that's why you just form a committee of trusted godly people to handle this, or you—, you really trust your godly deacons to to handle this kind of situation what's unique about having the plurality of elders that like a uh, a response committee or the deacon body couldn't handle this I, I i would what i would push back with to be honest with you is like well let's go back to the sufficiency of scripture let's go to the scriptures and right. we the the pastors are the shepherds uh, deacons, deacons are not, committees are not, and it lay, it lies at the feet of the under shepherd. And one of the ways he protects his sheep is if, if a church discipline, a sinful, I know the context we're talking about now, sexual abuse, if it arises, um, it, I would say it, that's, there's a reason they come to the pastor first, you know, right. um, they automatically recognize there's an authority. There's also a, a, um, a level of protection in the calling and office of under shepherd. So to have more men who are qualified to protect, I think would be, because uh, I would just say this, um, why then, why then would you go to a plurality of deacons? You know, right. if, if, you know, is, is, is that their role? Is that their job? So it could even spur on another conversation as you're reforming a church, making it healthy to say, this is why we do need, you know, it may, the occasion may rise. I was, Jonathan and I were talking in the in a earlier private conversation just about when certain conversations are started, I get excited just because it's an opportunity for growth and health in your church. Right. So it may, this conversation, when it arises, take advantage of it as a pastor and say, hey, mm-hmm. here's some things we need to think about, you know, you take, take advantage of that occasion, that conversation. Yeah. Also, I think we need to recognize and um, and one thing that that you could talk to your church about the the, the um, benefit of a plurality of elders is that often with deacons you have men who may be skilled and may be trained in dealing with um, certain issues, but when you're dealing with elders, you are dealing with people who who have the biblical training, hopefully, and um, maybe even the seminary training to, to be better equipped to deal with this issue in a biblical way. Plus, as often happens, especially in small churches, um, you're dealing a lot of times when you're talking about the deacon body and an offending person, a lot of times there's familial connections there mm-hmm. that could, could really influence the way that a, a situation is handled. And, um, you know, s- speaking of your previous your previous discussion about your sister and what happened, um, you know, having that that um, that that body of men who are called into the ministry, who have been trained in the ministry, who can step outside of those familial relationships. You know, this isn't a guy I grew up with. This isn't a guy who mm-hmm. whose sister I dated in high school. They can they can sometimes step back and really look at that situation from a different perspective and a more biblical perspective, and I think that's important. Well, bringing up the family brings up another great argument for plurality of elders. Um, and if you're in a small church like mine, uh, everyone's related to everybody, right. all right. And and so when these accusations arise, if you're a single pastor, it could very easily become the family's 
Right. that have grown up in that community versus this pastor who's moved in. But when you have uh, that plurality, it's more than just one man they're opposing. And if they're going to try to stand by a sexual abuser um, or right. justify sexual immorality because it's a family member, um, they're going to have more than just one godly, biblically-minded person to stand up against. You're going right. to have that, that group authority. Right. It's strong as a band of brothers. I'm telling you, as you guys know, you're on the front lines and you're the tip of the spear. And but when you're able to get four or five men arm in arm on the front line together, same minded, I'm telling you, it's a it is a blessing. I just words cannot describe the, the blessing that it is. And, and I know I've been talking about elders, but uh, and, and obviously advocating uh, for it biblically and how it helps in these circumstances and sexual abuse as far as our ecclesiology. But I wanted to throw another one at you for us to discuss about what, what about what about church discipline? If, if we can get to a church to start practicing it, can it help it? Is church discipline necessary? Questions like that. How, how is church discipline going to, let's say, help in a, a yeah. sexual abuse case or even um, maybe use the word prevent maybe a little bit? Dennis? Well, I think as a preventative, I think that um, just the knowledge that this is not going to be brushed up under the rug. It's not going to be just glossed over. The knowledge that there is accountability can often be a very strong deterrent to these kinds of things. If I think that, you know, I'm related to these guys, nobody's going to say anything about it. They're going to be embarrassed. I may have one or two people mad at me, but I'm going to get away with it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, at the end of the day, the church is just going to sort of brush it under the rug. It's very easy for me to do that. And, and let's say as a staff member, I've heard of churches, um, yeah, they'll fire a guy, but they brush it under the rug. So it's very yeah. easy for me to say when there's no discipline, for me to say, well, I'll just move on to the next place. Nothing's going to happen. And I think yeah. um, church discipline helps us. Um, it, it helps as a deterrent to keep those things from happening because people can't just say, you know, nothing's going to happen. Well, I, I think I agree with you on that. But one of the biggest things that's going to happen with church discipline to help either prevent or respond quickly to this type of situation is that in a church that is practicing church discipline, there is a, a spirit of accountability that makes people quick to go to their brother who is in sin, right. and if it's gone past that, to bring it to the leadership of the church, right. you know, like that. If that is the culture of we're a group of Christians here together that worship together, that hold each other accountable, that love one another, and, and want people to um, be holy as their Lord is holy, right. you know, the, if that's the culture of your church, then deviant behavior of, of just any kind is just not going to be tolerated, you know, right. and, and you're removing in that kind of atmosphere, you're really removing the safe places for predators to hide and lurk and, right. and, and prey on people. Yeah, I, I would, I would say start, start as a pastor, start teaching and preaching, um, on discipline, help create that atmosphere because the issues you're going to run into, and I've seen this not in the sexual abuse context, but when you start picking and choosing which disciplines you're going to start doing on, focusing on, you know, especially the hot 
button uh, topics right now in local churches. It's easy to say, let's get them out of here. Let's do this. No, we need to get back to what is church discipline? What's the goal of it? Educate our folks, educate mm-hmm. the people. And then it is, is there a problem? As Dennis was mentioned, I was at a church one time and um, a staff member sent a very, very inappropriate text to somebody with a picture and all that. They immediately fired him. He was gone and no one talked about it Sunday. It all happened in the span of two days. He just disappeared. Oh, yeah. No one knew what was going on. And my only concern was this. Yes, it should have been addressed. Don't get me wrong. It was very inappropriate. It was wrong. But my question was, I know you got rid of him, but what about this person's soul? You know, yep. things of that nature. That was that was my concern. I'm not saying he was right. I think he should have been disciplined and opportunity right. for repentance, counseling. And so that's why I'm saying as you start discipline and teaching, let's educate our folks. Let's talk about what it is to be prepared, not just on one topic, but make very many sins that we run into. Exactly. Well, and the goal, if you want to talk about the goal of church discipline is the salvation of sinners. You know, it's, it's the purity of the church. And in first Corinthians where Paul is talking about this uh, issue of dealing with sexual immoral, if he's, once you've gone through this process, he says to give them over that his flesh can be given over to Satan that in hopes that his soul will be saved, you know, like the, the whole goal, the reason we do this, is not because, well, we don't like icky sinners and we want to kick them out, you know. It's that we want these people who bear the name of brother to right. to live in the image of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, not only that, I, I think there's a restoration because sometimes it is someone who's saved who has fallen into the sin. And so when someone is willing to repent, when they're faced with church discipline, restoration should be the goal. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes in churches, let, let, let's sort of twist this around because in, in one case you have those that hide, but then you also have those who immediately destroy. And I think both of those are unhelpful and both of those are destructive in the body because our goal is not to destroy a brother. Our mm-hmm. goal should be to restore um, a brother or a sister who's caught in sin. And I think sometimes that's hard because, um, you know, I've been in churches where you have, uh, let's just, you know, not just sexual Im- immorality within the bot and within the church itself, sexual abuse in the church, but even physical abuse outside of the church. And, mm-hmm. and you have some of that happening in the church and the immediate reaction is get rid of this guy. Um, where really I think one of the things that we're called to do as a church is to help restore people. If they're, if they're willing to be restored, if they're repentant and they show contrition, um, mm-hmm. you know, we have, we have a responsibility to address that and then walk with those who want to receive restoration, walk through that with them. And I think, well, and, and I think that's, that's so missing, you know, I've been on the receiving end of that. You know, I was, I was at a church and I was letting my marriage fall to pieces basically right. you know i was neglecting my wife there was a sexual sin but it was just a, a, a i was neglecting the needs of my wife um well it kind of boiled to this big head and i you know and i call uh my pastor in and this is just big confessional moment for me i guess but i call my pastor in and i'm like in the living room weeping and my wife is in the back just determined she's going to pack up and leave me you know and uh, i mean obviously she didn't and we're together and we're we're happy now but i was i was fired 
from the church, right. you know, instead of coming to me and saying, well, you know what, let's help you work on your uh, marriage. Let's let you step down from responsibilities and, and let's, let's do some stuff to seek restoration. I was just gone. Asked not to show up Sunday. You know, um, I, I was told it would be better for me. Not, and this was like on a Friday or a Saturday. And then I was told not to show up Sunday, you know? Oh, and wow. so it's like, where's the restoration in that? Right. Where is, where in that is any principle that Jesus has taught his church to do, you know? Right. Um, and so yeah. I'm, I got a little personal stake in that, but I, I think Pure, true church discipline has to have re- restoration as the follow-up. Right. Oh, I agree. I agree. And I think that that's important. Um, and and so when, when we talk about all of this with how do we deal with these things, I think if we're going to distill this into to, to sort of basic terms, some things, some action steps that we can work on, I think a good ecclesiology is important if we can move our church to a good ecclesiology. Also, learn how to work in the ecclesiology you find yourself in, because it's great for us to say, you know, that a that a plurality of elders is the best. But the reality for most guys in, especially yep. Baptist churches, that's not where we're at right now. Yep. So, learning how to deal with that um, in, in the co- the context and in the culture you're in, and then also leading your people towards a biblical view of church discipline. Yeah. Um, not not a bludgeoning view of church discipline, but a biblical view of church discipline. And those are some very practical, but also biblical ways that we can do that. Are there any others? Go ahead, Jonathan. Well, no, I was just going to hit on your topic you're talking about. I was actually just talking with a pastor friend that is retired now, and he's uh, he's in his 60s, late 60s, early 70s. I forgot how old he is, really. But he's a retired minister that retired from a church that practices plurality of elders that did not practice it when he first came there to be their pastor. Right. And he was talking to me about their church discipline issues because I've been kind of working through this. And, and so when they first established their church discipline, it was a single pastor church, deacon led full congregational every little issue got brought up before the church to be voted on you know no church discipline period um they walked in stages through developing that policy and practice that evolved with the leadership of their church so you're sitting here you're listening to this podcast and you're saying look uh, i'm gonna die before my church ever is a plurality of elders let's not use that as an excuse not to enact a a good church discipline in your church okay let's not use that excuse to not pursue these things because um, this brother, I'm, this retired brother I'm talking about, they started out with um, the deacons were originally the ones who were in charge of church discipline. Right. You know, and, and we can all sit here and say, ideally, that's not what should be happening because the shepherding of the soul is the pastor's job. He did the best he could with what he had, and then as he moved the church to a plurality of elders, that policy changed, and the right. elders took over that role of church discipline. So right. you you just got to be able to find where you're at and do the best you can with what you have and, and, and still shoot for what you know is best, right. even if it's long-term. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree. That's, 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 I would say almost every pastor in a small church is work, work, 
start where you're at. See where you're at. Do what you can do healthy now. And like you said, I say a game plan, but know you're moving forward in certain directions and stay on that course. You know, you're you're you know, you're still shepherding souls. And we've all been there. The last church I was at, um, yeah, it, you, there's times you thought some of this is never going to happen. Then all of a sudden, the situation happens, a conversation's had, and all of a sudden, hey, we're we're ten steps ahead. I thought we were going to be so. So yeah, I, I, would, I would definitely echo what Jonathan's saying is just to be patient, just continue to labor and 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 shoot for those things. Start where you're at, but but always trying to move forward uh, for the good of your church. Right. If I could add a third biblical thing that's going to help you as a church, and it might seem oversimplified, um, but I would just say exegetical preaching. Yeah. All right. If you are a consistent expositor of God's word, gospel focused, Christ centered preaching, um, you don't have to be preaching through a whole book of the Bible at a time, but as long as when you come to a text, you are exegeting that text and showing Christ in that text and the gospel in that text and the thread of redemption in that text, um, you are going to be cultivating in the hearts of all your congregation a Christ-centered heart. You know, and, and that's not your words necessarily. It's the Holy Spirit, but um, it, it takes actually digging into God's word. You know, um, right. in order to do that, little self-help, trite, preaching my political position sermons are not going to cultivate that kind of heart in your church. If it does, it's in spite of you by the power of the Holy Spirit, not because of you. <laughs> right. It's it's amazing to see over the years of preaching and pastoring that simple truth of just when I say preaching the word as you said exegetically expositionally is and then you're also working on these different issues as we're talking about your ecclesiology your church discipline we haven't covered regenerate church membership all those type of things mm-hmm. you, you, but it's amazing that 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 foundation that basis of God's word and then when a church starts becoming healthy, it addresses so many issues. I know we're talking about sexual abuse, but there's so many issues out there that that in God's word is so sufficient, so good. When we do the God's word, it it helps us in taking care of so many of those issues that arise when we when we are doing what God's word says. It, it, time and time again, and I've been doing it yeah. for 20 years, and it's just amazing to see, hey. The Word of God addresses it this way. The Word of God addresses it this way. Or church discipline takes care of that in this way. It's just, I don't know, getting back to, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's a small thing that Jonathan's hitting on. I think is just get there, open up the Word, and say what the Word is saying, and see how, how the how the church doing God's word creates such a powerful atmosphere and culture when these situations arise, how they can respond in such a grace-filled, God-honoring way. Yeah. And I think it's important that we, we touch on this. That means that when we're preaching, we can't shy away from the tough sub- subjects. Um, we exactly. Can't, we can't walk away from the things that are difficult. We can't say, well, that's a little messy. I don't think that's appropriate for, you know, the younger people in our sanctuary. So I'm just, I'm just going to gloss over that. I yep. think we've got to hit the truth and we've got to understand these are things, you know, when Paul's letters were sent to the churches, they were read before the whole churches. 
And so they didn't gloss over these things no. with, with the other member, you know, the kids in the church. They were right there by their parents, um, hearing these things and understanding these things because they understood these were important for them to yeah. understand. How do I deal with these issues? And um, you don't have to be crude, but you do have to be bold, and you have to be. Um, you have to be bold enough to speak the truth and speak it in love and speak it with clarity. Well, and you don't need to be a preacher that has to apologize for God's word. No. You know, sometimes I, I've heard this and, and and pastors will stand up there and they'll read a hard saying from Scripture. Yeah. And then they proceed to start making excuses and exemptions to it. Yeah. They're like, I know this sounds really hard and harsh, and you yeah. might be thinking, how could God be saying this to me? How could Jesus be saying this to me? Well, let me tell you this. And then they start making excuses for it. Let's not do that. Let's let if you're a church, let me tell you, sexual assault is a hard issue. Sexual morality in your church is a hard issue. And if you have spent your ministry avoiding the hard issues in Scripture, um, yeah. you're, it's going to be even harder on you to deal with them when they show up in your church. Yeah, well, somebody's teaching them. I mean, someone. Yeah, they're gonna. Someone's gonna teach them on that topic. So I, I would encourage the pastor. Well, I'd ask him, "Do you want to handle that, or do you want someone off TBN or the internet to answer those <laughs> questions?" Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, you want a Twitter pastor, or a podcast pastor, or do you want to faithfully with the Word of God do? And the same way with your children, I always tell people these things: is someone's teaching them on these things. They're learning it from somebody. It needs to be you. Right. And, um, and so you just get in there and and, and wrestle with it. But yeah, I, I, th- I think you're right. Get in there, have boldness and courage, and you'll be surprised um, what the Word of God will do when you just put it out there uh, for you. Well, man, y'all have anything else you want to add to this discussion today? I think we covered it. Right. Yeah, I've always t- I've always been told um, when you give uh, give any points or anything, three is a great number. We gave three, so elders, church yeah. discipline, and biblical preaching. Yeah, that was great. I want to thank you guys today for joining us here at Small Church Shepherds. As always, we um, we cherish and value your um, input. So we would love for you to leave a comment after our podcast and, and make sure you give us a five-star review um, for uh, Small Church Shepherds. But also we want to ask you to to go to our Facebook page, Small Church Shepherds. Um, go to our Twitter, Ch- Shepherds Small. Um, and also to send us emails at smallchurchshepherds at gmail.com. Those are great ways to get in touch with us. Also, you can go to smallchurchshepherds.com, which is our blog. Um, right now, we've got some great blog posts that are that are on that page where you can go and, and get some great valuable information for, from other pastors that are a part of this ministry. Um, as always, we value um, your support. If you'd like to, to support us, you can you can mail that to uh, Small Church Shepherds at 2350 Highway 43 South, Brandon, Mississippi, 39042. Um, we always value you that support and you can also contact us on facebook or on our 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 gmail Uh, thank you so much for being with us and we hope to hear you next time at small church shepherd